Go ahead and take out your Bibles tonight, if you would, and be turning to the book of Romans, chapter 4. Romans, chapter 4. Because when I get ready, I'm going to launch right into a verse right there in Romans, chapter 4. But it's going to be a few minutes before I get there. Somewhere around 3,000 years ago, King Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, the following. He said, that which has been is that, let me start over. He wrote, that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. How true that is. Take, for example, some of our so-called new, modern-day words, phrases, innovations, and modes of communication that have become such common household words in just the past couple of decades or so. Things we talk about like they were somehow brand new or somehow never heard of before. First thing that comes to mind is texting. Texting. I read on one internet resource that there are trillions, TR, trillions of texts sent every day. Trillions. I don't even know how big that is. <laughs> That's a lot. And the first text, according to this internet resource, was reportedly sent on December the 3rd, 1992, less than 20 years ago. However, the fact is, God was sending his people text messages several millennia before that. Think about it. God has given us the world's largest, longest, and most vital text, this message in text, ever sent, right here in the book. This sacred text right here, this divinely inspired text, this message from God, this text message, if you will, was started by Abraham, I'm sorry, was started by Moses, and finished by the Apostle John. That's quite a long text, isn't it? Think about that. Took nearly 1,500 years to write, and this text message right here is completely perfect, completely flawless in all of its ways. And this text from God, this text message, if you will, is filled with statements to make us LOL. Did you know that? To make us love our Lord. And while there are no abbreviations, shortcuts, or emojis in it, what it does contain is the most valuable, the most infinitely priceless message that ever was. What it contains is simply the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help us to God. As we move on, some might think, well, you know, these tablets, these are, these are kind of, these are new inventions, tablets. 
notwithstanding the old paper ones, they actually had a pen. You remember pens? Just saying. The first true tablet, according to one internet resource, came out in 1994. But God has been sending messages via tablets, or was, 3,000 years ago. Remember Moses in Exodus 31 through 34? What did God message on? Tablets. And then just three short years ago, in the fall of 2018, there was this new show that came out. It's been canceled after two seasons. But it was this new TV show that came out with this supposedly new idea, this new concept. And the promo for it said, what would you do if you received a friend request from God? That's the basis of a new show airing this fall called God Friended Me. That is not a new concept. God Almighty, the creator of the universe, has wanted to be friends with his creation ever since the very beginning of time. This priceless millennia-old truth is found firmly embedded in this text message from God. This very beautiful, one and only, original text message from God himself. God has always wanted to be friends with his creation. And in fact, and I don't want to get way ahead of the lesson tonight, God's wanted to be far more than just friends. But for now, let's take a look at this. The first question is, how exactly does one biblically accept, biblically accept, God's friend request? For the sake of our lesson tonight, we'll put it in those terms. How does one biblically accept God's friend request? Well, in order to find out, the easiest way to do that is to take a look at God's list of friends. Those whom God said, this is my friend. And so the first one that we would look at on his friends list 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 7 tells us that Abraham was on God's friend list. Not only that, but in effect that he was a best friend forever with God. 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 7 saying, Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? The Bible says Abraham was a friend of God. He was on God's friend list. So the question that I want for us to think about tonight is, okay, all right, as we look at that, what made Abraham a friend of God? How did Abraham wind up on God's friend list? How did he accept God's friend request? What did he do to get on that list? Because I'll tell you what, it takes a whole lot more to get on that list than it does when somebody requests being friends on Facebook and you hit a button here or there and there you are. It also takes a lot more afterward than just being on someone's friend list you barely know. Don't raise your hands, but it's my understanding, I don't have a Facebook account, my understanding that a lot of times people on Facebook wind up with friends they don't know. <laughs> it's just like, well, it's this friend, right? It's just friend request. Being a friend of God requires a lot more than that. Let's take a look at what he did. How did Abraham get on God's biblical list of friends? Why does the Bible say he was a friend of God? Well. Abraham got on there by believing and trusting and obeying God no matter what. That's how he got on his friends list. 
Abraham, who it says in Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 18, Abraham, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. You want to be a friend of God? That's how it's done. He did not waver at the promise of God through his own unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform. He trusted God. No matter what, rather than looking at the situation around him, rather than looking at everything that said this can't possibly happen, he trusted. God said it was going to happen. That was the end of it. That's why the Bible calls Abraham a friend of God. It continues on, verse 22, and therefore it was accounted to him as righteousness. Now, the reason it's so important for us to understand this is because the Bible goes on to say that's how we become a friend of God as well. By following in Abraham's footsteps, that is how we too become a friend of God. Verse 23, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. This is how we become his friend by being fully convinced what he promised he's able to perform. It shall be imputed, verse 24, to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We do exactly what Abraham did. And it's those who are of the faith of Abraham, those who follow in his footsteps, that are friends of God, as, as it were, just like Abraham was. Another thing the scriptures explain to us, this heavenly text message, if you will, that they explain to us is that another reason that Abraham was God's friend was because Abraham understood that faith alone wasn't enough. James chapter 2, please turn there. James chapter 2. Beginning at verse 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture says, and the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called, here it is, he was called the friend of God. Scripture tells us again, in a second place, that Abraham was a friend of God. We continue reading, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith, faith only. Once again, it's important for us to understand that we become like Abraham and we have the faith of Abraham and we are therefore acceptable to God when we understand those same things, that faith alone is not enough to save us, that we need to also put 
into action that which we believe. We need to obey. We would also note here what a wonderful thing it is to accept God's friend request, as it were, when we comply with those same conditions. We would notice this from the Old Testament as well. Turn to me to Isaiah 41. In Isaiah 41, beginning at verse 8, check this out. Isaiah 41, beginning at verse 8, reads as follows. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. Third time we see it confirmed that Abraham was on God's friend list, as it were. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, I am with you. Don't be dismayed. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced and be as nothing. They'll strive with you and perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contended with you, those who war against you shall be as nothing like a non-existent thing, for I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. And he says these promises, or he makes these promises to the descendants of Abraham, his friend. Those promises are for us as New Testament Christians. This applies to spiritual Israel or New Testament Christians because we are of the faith of Abraham. In Galatians chapter 3, if you'll turn there, it also confirms that New Testament Christian, New Testament Christians, those who exhibit the same type of faith that Abraham did, Abraham the friend of God, are blessed right along with Abraham in the same way. We would note this from the whole chapter, but I'm going to read just a few selected verses. Galatians 3, beginning in verse 7 and going through verse 9, says this. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. We are spiritual Israel. That's why Isaiah 41 applies to us. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Listen, Abraham was a friend of God because he trusted God, he loved God, he did what God said. And those who are of that same type of faith are blessed in the same way. That's what it says in Galatians 3, 7 through 9. We look down at verse 13 and it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The blessings that Abraham enjoyed are extended and even more. And Abraham was on God's friend list. We've seen that confirmed in Scripture many times. Finally, we would notice Galatians 3, 26 through 29, where it talks about us and it says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, if you have been baptized into Christ, if because of your faith 
You have taken those steps because he said, this is what you gotta do to have your sins washed away as we talked about this morning. If you believe that and if you've taken action on that, if your faith has caused you to become a son of God by being baptized and doing what he told you to do, then you belong to Christ, verse 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You are blessed along with Abraham. The promise was for you. And so Abraham being a friend of God, all of us who are of the faith of Abraham can be friends of God too. But you know, that's just one name on God's friend list. He knows another name in the scripture, in this text message from God. There's another name on his friends list. The great man of God, Moses, was also a friend of God. Exodus 33 and verse 11 says, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Well, prior to texting and emailing anyway. Face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now if you study Moses' life, you'll see those same key ingredients that made him a friend of God as made Abraham a friend of God. If you study Moses' life, you'll see that he accepted God's friend request in much the same way that God's friend Abraham had. Number one, by believing God, trusting God, and obeying God, no matter what. By understanding that faith alone was not enough to please God, nor was that what being friends with God consisted of, just saying, oh yeah, I believe, and then going doing whatever you want. And Moses, thirdly, did the same thing as Abraham, he was willing to leave behind the things of the world in order to be a friend of God. All of these things that I just mentioned about Moses, we would note if we turned and read Hebrews 11, 24 through 27. But I spent a lot of time with Abraham, and so we'll just say Moses was on God's friend list for the same attributes. But you know, Jesus told us what it would take to be friends with God. Jesus told us what it would take to be, for the sake of our, our flow tonight, on God's friend list. He told us it in John 15. Turn there, please. Gospel according to John chapter 15. We've been studying this in the adult Sunday morning class. What does it take? How do we become friends with God? How do we get on his friends list? Like I said, it's a whole lot more than just clicking a button. <laughs> We see the same terms and conditions apply to accepting God's perpetual friend request today as was true with both Abraham and Moses. John 15, I'll be reading from verse 9 and following. Jesus said, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus said in verse 14, you are my friends if 
you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Some things to note if you're taking notes. In this text, right here, what does it take to be on God's friends list? To be those whom Jesus said, these are my friends. Number one, we must be willing to love and trust God enough to obey his commandments. We see this in verses 9, 10, and 14. Number two, we must be willing as Jesus was to lay down our lives for the brethren. Verses 12, 13, and 17. We must not only simply know God's word ourselves, but we must be willing to make God's word known to others. Verse 15. And we must be continually going and bearing good and lasting fruit. Verse 16. That's what it takes. That's what Jesus said in John 15, 9 through 16, that his friends would do. These are things that are involved in being a friend of Jesus. Again, very similar to Moses, very similar to Abraham. That's the introduction. Because something I want you to understand. God Almighty, the creator of the universe, doesn't want to just be your friend. He wants to be your friend but he wants something so vastly more magnificent, so much more involved, so much beyond. I mean, it's a wonderful thing to be on God's friend list, to be what the scripture says, a friend of God. And Moses had a, a great relationship with God. He wasn't flawless, but he had a good relationship with God. And, and Abraham was the, the father of the faithful, some say. And, and it was great that the Bible says again and again and again, Abraham was a friend of God, he was a friend of God. He was a, and, and, and it's a wonderful thing. And these disciples in John 15, Jesus said, I don't call you servants anymore, I call you friends. Wouldn't you have loved to have heard Jesus said that in person to you? You're my friend. But as magnificent and as awesome and as incredible as that is, God has something so much bigger in mind than just simply being your friend. What God wants, more than anything in the universe, God wants you as his adopted child. This is way beyond friendship. This is way beyond friendship. It does not matter the mistakes you've made in your life. God wants you to be his child. 
That's way beyond friendship. You may do some things for your friends. You may be willing, if you're on Facebook, to have a few friends here and there, and you'll share a message with them. But I'm telling you what, aren't your own kids a lot more special to you than some friend whose name you barely know, aren't they? God wants to go way above being your friend. God wants you to be his sons and daughters. This, this he, he wants you adopted into and to become a prized and precious and completely forgiven, full-fledged member of his own family. That blows my mind. I've been a Christian since 1985 and I still can't get over that. God, who, could, who spoke the, the world into, into being in six days, God, who, who in the flesh came and got out of the boat and said, peace be still, and it was flat calm. The God who created the heavens and the earth wants you and I to be his child. He wants to adopt us so bad that he was willing to give up his own perfect son in order, that's way beyond friendship, folks. And God, that's been his plan. That's been the, the text message ever since the very beginning that all the text from Genesis to Revelation has pointed to, and we've talked about this before, that God put a plan in place before the foundation of the world, before time existed. And he knew when he created mankind that mankind was going to mess up, but he still had this plan in place to want you for his child. What do you do with that? And the more I talk about it, the more small I feel. That's what God wants. It's this idea of some TV show and befriending God. No, no, no. That trivializes it because it takes so much more than to be a friend of God. But God wants to be so much more than your friend. Turn with me, and, and I know I quote this passage a lot, but please turn there. Ephesians chapter 1. This has been the plan. God loves you so much. Even if you have never accepted his adopting you, God wants you so bad. He's not going to force you. You're going to have to make that decision. But God, just like accepting friends or not accepting friends or deciding what you're going to do in certain situations, you're going to have to decide if you're, we talked this morning about people that aren't baptized and haven't accepted that invitation. You're going to have to decide. But God so desperately wants to take you in as his own. Ephesians 1 verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. If you would be in Christ, if you would make that decision to get into Christ, he chose that all of those who would be in Christ before the foundation of the world, he chose that those people who would make that decision would be holy and blameless before him. I don't know what you've done in your life. I don't. I know what I've done in mine. And you know what you've done in yours. You know your sin. You know whatever it is you've done. And I'm not trying to say we're all rotten, but what I am saying is that we're all sinners. That's scripture. And, and one sin will separate you from God, but God loves you so much that he had a plan in place even knowing how bad you'd mess up, to make you blameless, faultless, sinless, perfect before him. 
if you would just have your sins washed away. Having predestined, verse 5, us to adoptions as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, not because we're good people, but because of the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted. This is past tense. Jesus did it all. He made us acceptable. He made us flawless for all of those who would accept it. If we're in the beloved, in Christ, we are accepted. There is no condemnation, Romans 8.1, for those who are in Christ Jesus. In him, verse 7, we have, currently that is, we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of sins. Thank God. According to the riches of his grace, not because of the goodness of our actions. When are we adopted as his children? Verse 5. When we come to believe and trust him enough to accept his grace and forgiveness on his terms, verses 6 and 7. When does that happen? That happens when we accept his offer to adopt us. That happens when we accept the terms and conditions of his offer to adopt us into his family. Go back with me again to Galatians. And I know I've read it. I'm going to read part of it again. Chapter 3. Look at this again. Verse 26. You're all sons of God through faith. It's when you become a son of God is when your faith causes you to do something. You're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ to put on Christ, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, you're all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now let's continue on. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, although he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, his perfect, flawless, only begotten son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. God wants you to be so much more than his friend. And because you are sons, do, do, you, do you notice the transition between verses 5 and 6? Don't miss this. He, he did, he sent Jesus to die for us that we might receive the adoption as sons. And then it goes into verse 6 that it's a done deal. And because you are sons, those who have become children of God through their obedience, because they trusted God enough, they believed God enough, and so they were immersed for the forgiveness of their sins. They became sons and they are now sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave. Might I add, you're not even just a friend, but you are a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That still blows my mind. In Romans chapter 8, as I said, verse 1 says, 
There is now therefore no condemnation, or there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Notice what he says about us being sons of God, God's adopted sons and daughters. In verses 12 and following, he says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If we take this text from God, this message, this text message from God, that was written or dictated by the Holy Spirit, that's what it's talking about, and we let what the Holy Spirit had those men write down in this text message lead our lives, if we do that and we put the deeds of the body to death, look what it says in verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, when we're led by what the Spirit wrote down in this text message, these are sons of God. You tonight, if you have put on Christ, are so much more than God's friend. You are a son of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, current tense, brethren, we are, not we will be, not we hope to be, not we want to be, not we wish we were, we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. When I try to visualize this, and I realize there's no other way to illustrate this, there's no way to try to put this across in human terms. Paul said at one point, I write in human terms so that they could try to get their mind around it, and I realize it doesn't compare, but the best I got is to think of some rich businessman today, somebody who's just never, he, his, his children and his grandchildren will never have to worry about spending all the money he's made, some multi-bazillionaire, okay? Maybe some athlete, I, I realize there's one country music singer that once said he'd made more money than he, his children, or his grandchildren could ever manage to spend, okay? Somebody like that. And I picture this man who can buy anything, do anything, owns so much, has the world at his fingertips, commands people, can, can buy whatever he wants. I picture him in my mind, looking to some of these starving, dirty, diseased orphans in some third world country that's been ravaged by war and disease. These orphans whose parents are dead who will probably die themselves within the next month or so if they don't get the medical attention and the food that they need. And as I said, they're dirty and they're diseased and they're malnourished, all these, these, these little children. And, and we know some of the messes, and I don't need to go into any more detail, but we know some of the squalor and, and awfulness that they live in. They have absolutely no chance of survival. And, and I picture this, this, this rich businessman seeing some of those children and flying to this place himself in person because it's too big of a mission, it's too important to him to send somebody else. He's got to go in person and he goes. 
and he adopts that child. Warms your heart, don't it? And he brings that child back. Adopts that child as his own and, and, and brings that child back to enjoy all of the incredible blessings that this child could not have imagined in a bazillion years. They can have anything. And that's just the slightest glimpse of what God did for you and me. He saw us in our filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6, all of our righteousness like filthy rags. He saw us diseased and, and infested with sin, knowing that there were, we had no chance of survival. We couldn't get rid of the sin. We couldn't get rid of the sickness. We couldn't get rid of the illness that we have. And we were going to starve to death as we sought to find spiritual nourishment from the world because everything in the world is poison, it's sin. And he knew that we were going to die. Jesus said, unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. And, and God, God, with uh, the creator of the universe, couldn't take that. And so he himself came personally in the flesh to this this squalor and this sin-infested world where people hate each other and, and fight and kill each other and all the stuff that goes on in our world. And, and the God of love came to this universe in person, came to this earth for one reason, to adopt you into his family and take you home so that you could enjoy every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Isn't God awesome? That's what he did. Adoption. We have an adopted son, and he is every inch as much my child as our two biological daughters. Every inch as much. God the Father came in person, came in the person of Jesus Christ, and he paid the ultimate price in his own blood to become, yeah, your friend but so, so, so infinitely much more to become your father and to say, hey, that's my son. That's my daughter. That's my child. And we as those poor orphans that had no chance at survival have the opportunity one day to go home to enjoy all the glories of heaven. Again, which Kirk mentioned this morning in the prayer before communion that Jesus was willing to leave. Jesus, his own son, is there. And we get to be flown home one of these days as his adopted child. God the Father paid the price. He came. And he paid the price in blood for you to put forward this adoption contract. God, the Father, through that text message, the Bible, is begging you to let him adopt you tonight. And then one day take you back home to paradise with him. Can you imagine one of those little kids rejecting that offer? If you stay in your sins, if you decide, no, I don't want to go with him. I don't want him to be my father. I don't want to become his child by being baptized and having my sins washed away. I, I, I'd rather stay in my sins. If you reject his offer and you stay in that sin-infected place called the world, you will die. You will. Eternally. 
So he's begging you to let him adopt you. It was his plan and his blood and his tears and his trip here. Listen, were his plan and his blood and his tears and his trip and his sacrifice in vain? Did he come looking in vain for you? It was in vain for you if you don't accept his invitation to become both his friend and his adopted child. Please, do not let God's trip to this planet be in vain for you. If you're watching this, I hope you look up the scriptures we've talked about tonight, and I hope you really decide to study because you want to know what it takes to be adopted into the family of God. And if you're in this room, don't let his trip for you be in vain. Don't turn down his offer. The world is, not the world, but the world of things that God has for you are just waiting, and he's saying, please, I want to adopt you. If you'd be adopted tonight by being baptized because of your faith, having your sins washed away in the waters of Christian baptism, God would rejoice, the angels in heaven would rejoice, the church would rejoice. <laughs> Maybe you're somebody who's done that. And you're saying, you know what? I've squandered some of the father's stuff that he gave me. I'm not all the child to him that I know I could be, and I'd like to be a stronger child and a better representation of his name after all he's done for me. I, I know that I'm not the best representation of the family name, and I'd like to be better, and I need the strength and prayers of the church. We'll pray for you, because a lot of his children fail. Tonight, if there's any of those things we can do for you, would you accept his invitation? Or would you accept help to be a stronger child for the God who loves you so much? We'd love to help you right now as we stand and sing.